This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you're like me, I find that I sing better than I live. And that song uh, really has some great truth in it. It says that, that the Lord is better than everything. He's better than all. Help me to believe that. And so let's pray together this morning. Father, we, we sing truth all the time. And great truth it is. And our hearts long to live what we sing. So, Father, today as we open your word, we ask that you would teach us truth, declarations from heaven to earth. But alongside of that, let it be yoked to the power to live it, the hunger to live the truth that you give to us today. We thank you that that is in in your heart to make that happen. We thank you for it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. I had the great privilege as a relatively young Christian and young adult to have a pastor come to our church who was really a master disciple maker. And his heart for ministry was to build disciples. And he had what he called a a curriculum. And he said that the Christian life, that there is a curriculum to it. And we do not do a good job typically in church life of matriculating people through that curriculum. We kind of shotgun truth at them. And so much of the time we get bits and pieces and the stuff that is fundamental may come along late, it may come along early, and the way we organize that sometimes is is weak at best. And uh, that's just part of our, our human nature. But I'm grateful that I was exposed to somebody that took seriously what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, And there's there's four generations of believers in this short sentence. He's writing to Timothy and he says, find faithful men and teach them to teach others. So you've got Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others down the road. And so I I have in some measure tried to emulate that in uh, my ministry. And I think that there are some fundamentals, some things that need to be taught When Paul said teach, I I think he had some fundamentals in mind. I think he had a curriculum in mind. And I want to take one of those fundamentals today and kind of pursue it for us. It It is basic, it is fundamental, and yet it is absolutely critical to everything in the Christian life. And it is what is biblical faith. The Bible says, it's a word that's used Hundreds of times in the New Testament, uh, the Bible says that we are saved by faith. 
that we're justified by faith, we're sanctified by faith, we live by faith, we stand by faith, we walk by faith, we receive the Spirit by faith, we overcome the world by faith, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. And we could go on and on and on. And maybe one of the most important is out of Hebrews where the statement is made that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now let that soak in a minute. Unless we have this biblical commodity, this thing called faith, we, we cannot live the Christian life and we cannot please God in the Christian life. It, it, it's not even Christian if it's not what real biblical faith is. So, We're going to try and look today and see what this biblical faith is, if it is so fundamental. Well, we're fortunate that God has seen fit to give us a perfect model of biblical faith in the man that we call Abraham. And we find that our text today in Romans chapter 4, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And we're kind of going to work through a lot of that today or a good bit of that today. But there is a, a single line that I want to refer to and let it be kind of the, the, the stack pole for everything that we're going to look at today in the text. In verse 16, it says this, For this reason it is by faith. Now the it there has an antecedent, and we'll get to it, get to it in a minute to see what, what is this thing that is of faith. For this reason, it is of faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So back up a minute and and let that sink in. This This promise, this commodity that God wants to give to us by grace, we lay title deed to this promise and everything that is held within it by faith. And he says that our faith must look like the faith of Abraham. It is the faith of Abraham. So whatever Abraham's faith was, Our faith has got to be a mirror image of that. It is modeled in his faith. That is what our faith is to look like. Now, that's interesting because immediately it ought to raise something in our minds because Abraham never heard the name Jesus. And our faith is built on Jesus Christ. So how how do we reconcile this? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Because the New Testament uses the word faith in two senses. Two senses. One, almost always, is uh, preceded by a definite article, the faith. And the faith is the faith of the gospel. It has a specific content to it. The, the content of the gospel is that there is a triune God who created everything that is. He brought everything out of nothing. And that he has a son that put on human flesh and took on human flesh, girded himself as as a servant, emptied himself of his glory, 
took upon himself the sins of the world that he might die for us and save us from our sins. And he carried our sins to the cross and died in our place. And that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back someday to judge the world in righteousness. In righteousness. That's the gospel. That is the faith that we have. The New Testament talks about the fact that some have left the faith. And in Jude 3, we read that uh, we are to earnestly contend for the faith, that it not be perverted or distorted in some way. So that is one use of the word faith. It, it is a content thing. Abraham's faith did not have all the content that ours does. But the other way that the New Testament uses the word faith is what we do with the faith. It is our relationship to the faith. How do we handle it? What, we, what is our relationship to the faith? We have faith in the faith. So there's a distinction. And so our faith that we exercise in the faith is modeled exactly in the faith that we see in Abraham. So that's what we're going to look at together today. What is this faith of Abraham. Well, we could back up to verse 12 and see kind of the very same thought. And he, he's talking about Abraham and he says that, that we are to follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. So we're going to look at what that looks like today. Three times in Romans 4, we encounter the same quote from Abraham's life. That tells me it's important. When it's repeated, that's like God highlighting it emphasizing it, underlining it. He says, don't miss this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Three times in this relatively short chapter, Paul shouts this from the page. And he says, if you want to see what the model of Abraham's faith is, this is the model. So step one in the model of Abraham's faith is this. You cannot have faith until God speaks. God has to say something before you can exercise faith in it. Now, we, we have all kinds of, of faith. We, we, we live by faith ourselves, not, not the faith of the gospel, but so much of our lives is faith. We set an alarm clock, believing it's going to go off at the right time. If we didn't believe the alarm clock was going to go off at six or seven or eight, we'd set a half a dozen of them around the room because I didn't have faith in it. Uh, most of us have cars that we have faith in, and we believe that I set my clock, get up to come to church, and when I turn that key, it's going to come on. You exercise faith in it. You exercise faith in that chair when you sat down. I want you to license your imagination for a second. Imagine I've got a chair up here. And I walk all around that chair and I say this. It looks like a chair. It looks sturdy. I've seen chairs before. I've been using chairs all my life. And can you hear what that chair is saying? What's that chair saying? Trust me. <laughs> Sit in me. 
I will support you. So that chair is making a promise to us. It's making a statement to us. And it's either trustworthy or not trustworthy. I can either exercise faith in it or I can make all these belief statements about it. I I believe it's strong. I believe it'll do it. But until I commit to that chair, I'm just talking about it. Well, that's the way it is with Abraham's faith. God makes statements. God makes promises. And I can say I believe them all day long. And I can say I believe God's trustworthy. I believe God's strong enough to do it. But as long as I just talk about it and and believe without committing to it, I'm just deceiving myself. I was on a platform one time in Peru. I was at a discipleship conference with the guy I was telling you about with a bunch of other people. And we were doing discipleship to some folks down there. Have you seen those plastic chairs for outside? You know, they cost you about a dollar at the dollar store. That's what was up there in Peru. And I sat down in one and I wasn't there very long and I began to feel, began to feel the back legs just begin to splay out from underneath me. And it wasn't long before I was doing a backward somersault. I had exercised faith in something that couldn't support me. Now I want to say something right now. It was the chair's fault and not mine, okay? <laughs> had nothing to do. And if you thought it was my fault right now because of Maybe my appearance. You're probably not going to get anything out of the rest of this sermon. You're you're just spiritually dead, okay? But see, I committed to something that was saying something to me, but it wasn't true. A lot of people exercise faith in spiritual things, but it's not biblical faith. It's not the faith of Abraham. So here's the first thing I want to ask you today. What is the source of your spiritual authority? What has spiritual authority? You see, either God's making promises to us about spiritual truth, or we're making promises to ourselves about spiritual truth. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, this is how I think about God. I, 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 I don't think any, God would just, God, there is no hell. I mean, what kind of good God would have a, a, a hell, whatever hell is? I just think if you're just sincere and you're really honestly sincere and you really believe it in your heart, God's going to, he's going to be good to you. A lot of people believe that. And they're absolutely sincere in that belief. But the source of that belief, the authority for that belief is self. And not the sovereign word of God. So the question becomes, these, who's making your promises for you spiritually? Are, are you making yourself spiritual promises about Salvation, about living the Christian life, what the Christian life needs to look like. And I want to tell you, God speaks to the minutiae of our lives. 
And if you're not exercising faith in the minutiae, you, you need to ask yourselves, am I really exercising faith in what I might consider to be the, the big stuff of the Christian life? <clears throat> the song we sing, God is better to me than, than everything, better to me than life itself. He is Lord of lords. He's King of kings. Lord, I accept you as my Savior. I make you Lord of my life. Until you contradict me. As long as you and I happily seem to be going along in parallel tracks, God's good. But the minute that God contradicts my best thinking, God, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't seem right to me. The minute that God contradicts my feelings, where is my spiritual authority? The question now is, <clears throat> in my faith, my following of Jesus, am I willing to let Jesus Christ, am I willing to let the word of God contradict everything my mind tells me, everything that my feelings tell me? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a thinking Christian. But what I am saying is that, that after you thought and you've reasoned as best you can, if there's a clear conflict between what you have thought and what God plainly says, are you willing to say, I'm going to let God be God? And I want to tell you something. God says things and makes statements and promises. Let me say this. Everything God says is a promise. Everything he says is a promise. It's not just, I'll be with you, I'll never forsake you, I've got a home in heaven for you. When God says that there's, there's a, a day of judgment, that there's a day in, in which he will return and will give an accounting, when God says, you, whatever God says is true. It's a promise. This is what works. This is what's good. This is what's bad. Everything God says is a promise. So biblical faith that Abraham models begins when God says something. Are you willing to let God speak to your heart today? Will you listen to him? Will you, will you put yourself in a position of submission that says, Lord, whatever you say, I, I'm, I'm going to submit my life to that. that that's the, where the Christian life begins. And admittedly, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Thank God for that. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts higher, better than, than my ways. And so that when God says something about human sexuality, even though it doesn't make sense to our culture, sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. I got to be willing to say, God said so. When it says something about the complementary roles of men and women inside the church and inside the home, Lord, that's, that doesn't really make sense to my reasoning. That's not the way I would have done it. And yet he speaks clearly about some of these things. And he says, 
forgive your enemies. Yeah, but you don't know my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, mother-in-law, the guy sitting in the row in front of me up there. See, I'm willing to be Christian. I'm willing to let God speak until he contradicts my authority. And kind of related to that, our other authority is not just self, but it's also our surroundings. Some of us believe what we believe not because God has says it, has said it as much as my favorite preacher said it, or my denomination said it, or my culture has said this is the way that it is. None of those things create truth. Sincerity never made anything true. Let me put it down like this. Non-biblical faith never made anything true. I really believe that chair was going to hold me up. Everything inside of me. It never entered my mind that that chair wouldn't hold me up. But that didn't make it strong, did it? So biblical faith begins when God says something. Faith is initiated in heaven. It starts in heaven. If your faith is generated from anything down here, it's not biblical faith. The second part of the faith of Abraham, the the steps of the faith of Abraham, is that after God has spoken, you got to do something with it. And so let's, let's look at the text. Uh, so we'll just pick up in the last half of verse 16 where he says, he's talking about those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations, I've made you. And he, he said that in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now, let me read that again. The one that has spoken... The one who has said to Abraham, I'm giving you this promise that that you and your descendants will be heirs of the world. The one who said that was God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's who does the speaking. There in verse 18, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated, he considered, he looked at his own body, saw the facts, walked around himself and looked. And he says, I'm, this body is as good as dead. I'm a hundred years old. And yet God has said, out of your own body, you will will have descendants. With respect to the promise of God. Well, let me back up to 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. And that means I hear what God says. I look at the reality around me. And I'm willing to act on what God has said rather than the circumstances that surround me. Didn't deny what was there, 
one of Pollyanna faith. But he said, I've got to remember that this is the God that gives life to the dead and calls into being that which doesn't exist. Guys, you realize that's the first word of the Bible. It begins there, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God made everything out of nothing and brought life out where there was no life. That's the story of God's word. And so in some sense, Abraham's faith contained at least a seed of the New Testament gospel faith. That God brings life out of death. That's who this God is. So in verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to what had been spoken. He contemplated his own body as good as dead. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. I'm dead, Sarah's dead. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able to perform. And therefore, it was credit to him as righteousness. And so he... He took the promise as his own, and he was willing to let God's word trump every consideration around him. He said, it doesn't look likely. I don't see how it's going to happen. And yet God has said it. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to live out of that. And so God credited that to him as righteousness. Now listen to this. Verse 23. Now, not not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited is those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So he said, look, this faith, the steps of Abraham's faith, what happened to him and how God Credited faith to him is exactly what God wants to do with you. God has spoken to you about Jesus Christ. The faith. Who Jesus is. What Jesus has done. About ourselves, our sin, our need for a savior. The need to repent and turn from our ways to his ways. And it was for our sake that this was written about Abraham. That righteousness would be credited to us. And so this is the the third step in faith. God speaks. God makes promise. Abraham believes the promise, lives his life out of that promise, And then the last part of it, it begins with God and it ends with God because God keeps his promises so that every promise he's ever made is always yes. Everything he's ever stated to be is going to be without exception. And so biblical faith hears what God says, believes what God says, acts on what God says, and then God keeps the promise about everything that he has said. 
And what he has said is this. He who is delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. What's the promise of God in the beginning in starting this Christian walk? It is that Jesus Christ was delivered over because we're sinful. That we have transgressed. And our sins are are big things because they separate us from a holy and righteous God. And we are alienated from him. We are separated from him eternally. And we are in danger of eternal separation if God doesn't give us a promise about how to fix that. Who, who made your promise about how to fix that? Well, I'm, I just, God and I are okay. We're fine. I believe in the big guy upstairs. I want to tell you, you, you made that promise. God didn't make that promise. And my question now is, can you keep that promise? The onus for keeping the promises you make for yourself are you. And see, we live in a day when self has usurped God's throne. And truth becomes whatever I want it to be and whatever I declare it to be. And we wind up with chaos so that we can't even put on a birth certificate anymore, whether somebody's male or female. Now, what kind of truth is that? What kind of delusion, self-delusion is it when we are the arbiters, the creators of what's true? That, that leads to absolute anarchy in everything. It'll lead to anarchy in our homes Anarchy in our schools, our culture, in our own lives. So God speaks and says, you have transgressed my truth. You have stepped outside of what's right. You see, it's, it's like God has drawn a circle. And he says, truth is inside this circle. And to transgress outside of this perimeter is to step into deception and untruth and lie. It's to step into death out of life. And you have all stepped outside of what's true and right and good. Stepped outside of God's will for our lives. And it matters. And God has made a way to come back in. That he has transferred to him our transgressions. He was delivered over because of our transgressions. Now look at verse 25. There's a subtle thing that we need to see here. He was delivered over because of our transgressions, but he was raised because of our justification. He wasn't raised to achieve our justification. You see, when he died and when he was buried, that achieved the justification. He was raised because it was enough. It was done. It was finished. If the death of Christ was not enough to reestablish, to reconcile a relationship with God, then he would still be in that grave. We would still needs something else for our justification. But see, he was raised because his death was enough. 
If you're here today and you think my sin's been too big, my transgression is too much, my sin's bigger than God. But listen, this is the God that brings life out of death. Abraham looks at his body as good as dead. There's no hope. This can't happen. And yet God has said, and I will believe. And I will live out of that. What are the practical implications of this as we bring things to a close today? What's the practical implication? What I want you to leave with today. If you cannot exercise biblical faith apart from what God has said, it ought to become apparent that we need exposure to what God has said. The less we know about what God has said, the less faith you can really exercise. Everything else that you believe is the product of self or society or culture, surroundings. If I'm going to have biblical faith, if I'm going to be saved by faith, live by faith, walk by faith, be, to overcome the world by faith, the only way that's going to grow is as I'm exposed to the truth and the word of God. Adrian Rogers used to say this, wish I could say it like him. He said, dust on the Bible and sin in the heart, these two hath been joined together and no man shall part. Now, that's true. Practical application is, Father, let, let me hear you and let me consider who you are. You're the God that brings life out of death. The big issue is not the strength of your faith, but the quality of the object of your faith. Don't try to build up faith in the promise. Don't, don't claim the promises of God's word and try to believe the promises of God. Believe the promise maker. When you believe the promise maker and come to an understanding of who he is, this is who God is. This is what he's like. This is what I see in his word about him. Then suddenly believing the promises becomes almost guaranteed because he has said it. I remember as a youngster, I'd go into the kitchen. They had a kitchen counter. You, you could almost jump across the room. <laughs> and uh, I used to love to stand on that counter and have my father stand two or three feet away and hold out his arms, and he'd say, jump, and I'll catch you. And i tell you, I would fly off that counter. You know why? I knew my father. I wasn't counting on the promise so much as just the Father. Let me give you one illustration for it. Well, Stacy told me I could go as long as I wanted to today. <laughs> Let me give you one illustration. We'll just end with this. It's one you've probably heard before. Talking about our faith needs to be in the character of who's making the promise. Two boys, middle of winter, far north, freezing cold. There's a frozen lake. And they both, both want to go out and ice skate, play ice hockey on it. And one knows the ice. 
and he puts his skates on and runs out on that ice and he frolics on it and he jumps. The other, a guest, puts on ice skates, maybe for the first time, and he kind of inches his way out on the ice, fearful that it's not going to hold him up. Let me ask you a question. Which one of those two is safer? Well, you know the answer. They're both equally safe. Because it's not the amount of faith they have in the ice that gives them their security. It's the character of the ice. And the character, the strength, the support of the ice is the same for both of them. And so I want to tell you, when Jesus says, if you just got a little faith, man, you might move mountains. Because even a little faith that inches out on Jesus and trusts him. Lord, I believe you can bring death out of life, bring life out of death. My marriage feels dead. My church life feels dead. What's dead in your life? Do you believe God's big enough to bring life out of death? Or will you turn and walk away somewhere else? Abraham walked with God in steps of faith. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we sing more, we talk more than we walk. Help us to believe, Father. Give us the, the grace of faith that our faith might honor you and glorify you this day. We ask it that you might be glorified in Jesus. Amen.